Hi there, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Anyway, thanks for about 84k now. We are hot on the trail of the Trump going to the fucking jail. Let's see. But there's nothing new. Hmm. Hmm. War of anti-vaxxers. Kind of boring stuff. Maybe, um, maybe continue watching. I gotta continue watching. Secret Pagan Underground in Turkey. Wow. Secrets of Ancient History Billy. Mm -hmm. uh, Trump taken down. Let's see, this is... Hey, so if you have diabetes or pre-diabetes or if, like, you're having trouble with your weight, then there's this... And again, as I expressed... The intent was solely to keep himself high up on that Forbes list, which was incredibly important to him. But more than that, it was to be able to use the personal financial statement so that he could benefit from that as well. Michael, what do you think drove Trump to fight so hard and to use his own Treasury Department? And we don't know what we don't know about what pressure he may have placed on the IRS as well to shield these returns from public view? Was it not wanting people to see how often he failed in business? Two months ago, Trump taken not wanting people um, to see how little he paid Trump's in taxes? Trump's tax returns released by House Democrats. Linked? I mean, what was he hiding? Everything, right? I mean, everything <laughs> across the board and then some. One of the things, of course, again, is the fact that he's not as wealthy as he purported, but also he's clearly not million as in debt. as he wanted to purport. And then on top of everything, the way that he used the system, for example, and I'm sure David could speak to this at length, but one of the things that he would do is he would take worthless land at the back of some of the golf courses, and he would then donate it as a deduction. The problem is that he would take that piece of property and he would value it the same as usable property despite the fact that this property was marshland, it was underwater. And he would then take that property, deduct it, and, you know, just not a proper deduction. And that's how he ended up, again, with that $10 million check plus a whole lot more over the years. Is that illegal? Proper. And, you know, to be honest with you, there's a lot of people that will have to answer, including the people from the state who ended up accepting it and not challenging when he donated, for yeah. example, 10 acres, claimed each one of those acres was worth a million dollars. Why they just fell for whatever it was that Trump and Weisselberg and others said, I truly don't know the answer. But it, th again, what it goes to is failures in our system of checks and balances, especially on the uber rich. There's a failure of checks and balances and while he is responsible for that, because he put that down in the tax returns and so on, I think there are other people that need to be held accountable as well. David, I want to give you sort of a, a two-part question here and then, and then let you go. I mean, one, what sticks out for you in, in terms of your first look, these just came out this morning, 
And two, where do you think the new buckets of, of questions are after seeing this today? Well, I'll say two things that stand out. The first one was, uh, remember Trump before he took office said he would donate all his presidential salary. He doesn't need the money. The very common <laughs> thing he had done with uh, donations his entire life. He'd always said, oh, I'm doing this new thing, but I don't need the money. I'm going to donate it. And what we had found before he took office was that he often didn't live up to those promises. And what we see in these returns is apparently that he didn't do it again. His promise to donate his presidential salary seems to have petered out in 2020, the last year of his presidency. <laughs> we see no donations, no donations to, of his salary or anything else, zero in donations. That's one thing. The other thing, and I'm sure uh, Michael was unsurprised by this, was we spent all this time talking about Trump the businessman. What is he doing? This He has this genius. What are his plans? I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what his different businesses were doing. And come to find out, the only really success he had during his four years as president was due to his father, Fred Trump. The one good mm. year he had, according to these tax returns, was when he sold some of the last pieces of Fred Trump, who was by then had been long dead, of Fred Trump's real estate empire. All the things mm -hmm. he wrote about, all the big developments, those lost money. Fred Trump from the grave was the only person who helped Donald Trump's empire this entire time. I mean, Michael Cohen, does that explain the fervor to keep this secret, that he was not good at business? Yeah, and uh, just to add to David, Take one of father. the other... Uh, successful Business ventures too. that he's part of is a venture with Vornado that he doesn't even control. They control it, and they're really professional. And so when they refinanced, he had his percentage. And that, of course, all goes from what occurred on the West Side Highway when he took over that property. But there are so many things that are coming out right now. The volume of information that's coming out, it's it's so enormous that it's going yeah. to take some time to digest. One of the things that we all had seen as well is the way that they manipulated the numbers, for example, with his aircrafts under, for example, the company is called TAG, T-A-G, Trump Aviation Group. But the way that Donald Trump would set up these companies is that TAG would have sub-entities underneath them. So one would be, for example, his trust, and the other would be another incorporated LLC that they would use as an additional layer of protection. If you notice, it claimed, for example, that he had earned $860,000 for the use of the plane, but the expenses equaled exactly 806 or whatever the exact number was. That's extremely curious, especially if you're a forensic accountant or now the IRS. But the same thing happened with the helicopters. And again, it's the same way that they established the companies. The big LLC of information that's coming out, it's it's so enormous that it's going to yeah. take some time to digest. One of the things that we all had seen as well is the way that they manipulated the numbers, for example, with his aircrafts under, for example, the company is called TAG, T-A-G, Trump Aviation Group. But the way that Donald Trump would set up these companies is that TAG would have sub-entities underneath them. So one would be, for example, his trust, and the other would be another incorporated LLC that they would use as an additional layer of protection. If you notice, it claimed, for example, that he had earned $860,000 for the use of the plane, but the expenses equaled exactly 806 or whatever the exact number was. That's extremely curious, especially if you're a forensic accountant or now the IRS. 
But the same thing happened with the helicopters. And again, it's the same way that they established the companies, the big LLC, then the sub LLCs. And it's also, again, difficult for the IRS to track what's going on here. Well, now they have plenty of time and there's going to be plenty of people taking a look at all of these documents. And my feeling is, is his goose is cooked. We are learning several new revealing details this morning about what happened in the Trump White House before, during, and after the January 6th Capitol attack. The January 6th House Select Committee released a new trove of deposition transcripts from key witnesses late yesterday, including former head of personnel at the White House, John McEntee. He told the House panel former President Donald Trump wanted to issue blanket pardons for everyone who participated in the attack, saying, quote, the president floated the idea and Pat Cipollone said no, referring to former White House counsel Pat Cipollone. McEntee continued, I remember the president saying, well, what if I pardoned the people that weren't violent, that just walked into the building? And I think the White House counsel gave him some pushback on that, end quote. More newly released transcripts reveal former President Trump also considered firing any member of his staff who did not believe. Why aren't you investing in real estate? Seriously, what, what do you do you to own property in 2023? I believe the 2020 election was stolen from him. Cipollone mentioned a memo that stated, quote, anybody that thinks there wasn't massive fraud in the 2020 election should be fired, end quote. Former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson added this about that memo, telling the panel she addressed Cipollone about it, saying, oh. quote, Pat looked at it. He said something to the effect of God, no. But Cipollone said he did not remember that interaction. What? What's more, former White House Communications Director Alyssa Farah Griffin spoke to the January 6th House panel on April 15th, describing her tenure at the Trump White House as, quote, a wild eight months. Griffin revealed one serious and ongoing problem was a lack of organization. To the surprise of no one, she described a Trump White House in which jobs were filled with underqualified staff because more senior government officials would not take positions within the administration. She said any report about the Trump White House being chaotic and operating without structure was, quote, more or less accurate. That included there being no competent gatekeeper to stop harmful or unhelpful information from getting to then-President Trump, which led to this moment in April of 2020 at the start of the COVID pandemic. Supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light, and I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. Right. And then I see the disinfectant that knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets in the lungs and it does a tremendous number. Of lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that. So you can see there, that first one really outlines how insane all of this was. And it gets to what we're going to talk about with Ivanka, which is that one of the things she said, one of the, the excuses she gave for why she never quit daddy when he was in the White House, even after he did evil thing and evil thing and evil thing, was I needed to be there as a voice of reason, a voice of moderation. If I left, it would only be the crazies. And I was like, 
the thin blonde line between anarchy and, and order in the Trump regime. But it turns out that the crazies were taking over anyway. And, you know, as noted with the Cohen stuff, that's valuable because what it shows is, one, it's embarrassing to Trump. And I love to see Michael Cohen get a little bit of karmic, hilarious revenge. You know, whether he lied about making donations, whether he lied about the value of his worth, either negatively or positively, to benefit him in certain contexts. You know, the specifics don't matter as much as the general sense, which is that this man used the tax system to cheat the American worker and to cheat probably lenders and things like that as well. And why this matters is that whenever you're talking about fudging the numbers or messing up with the numbers on Trump's individual taxes, you can't disconnect that from the Letitia James case because it's all one big stinky ball, which includes Ivanka and her brothers and the company and daddy because the, the Trump organization is basically Trump and you can't separate it all. And that's bad. But one particular piece of evidence that's been photographed from the written transcripts, it's been recorded there and now shared with the world, again, in the hands of investigators everywhere, is this quote about how Ivanka never had the power that she thought she had. And it says, Alyssa Farrah Griffin, who served as Director of Strategy Communications for Donald Trump toward the end of the presidency, testified before the panel that she, uh, that she revealed the former president's eldest daughter and his longtime advisor, Hope Hicks, did not have a moderating influence. Quote, there's a handful of sort of myths that have been created, and I don't know if it's like people pulled certain PR or what, but there seems to be this narrative that Hope Hicks could get through to him and push back on him. I never once saw Hope Hicks push back on him, and that Ivanka was like the voice of reason and could get him to change his mind. I like Ivanka. She's very decent to me, but I never once saw her change her opinion on anything. Griffin also cited an example in Lafayette Square where federal agents violently cleared peaceful protesters to make way for Trump to pose with a Bible in response to this. And it notes that, you know, if anything, Ivanka and Jared pushed that idea as some sort of law and order thing. So in, in actuality, more often than not, when they were trying to push back, it didn't work and it was not nearly as often as they would like to think. And often they were pushing bad ideas actively onto Trump, which he followed. So this is devastating for Ivanka. And it's big news for Letitia James, who gets these tax returns and all of the context behind them, which will nail her and her brothers and her dad and the family company. And again, this photographic evidence, you have the, 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 the image files and whatnot of these transcripts, tears into her personally as well. Just a devastating day. What would you do if you knew a heart attack was coming? Joe Barton here. And if you're over 40, check your chest for these two... Words. <clears throat> well, there you go. Voila. <clears throat> Thought I saw some really great cultural stuff. Continue watching um, Forbidden Knowledge and Secrets of Ancient it History. It specifically describes where all of those moral laws and codes and mathematics and astronomy, it tells where all that, that stuff came from. 
And on top of that, the Sumerians clearly state that in, in many other places as well, including cylinder seals, where they show that. Okay. And so I want to just provide you a quick little quote, and I'm, Billy is going to be very familiar with this, that, that is the opening line of the Sumerian king list. Okay. And what it says is, when kingship was lowered from heaven, kingship was an Eridu. Right, Billy? Absolutely. And that's huge because that gives us an idea of where the very first city was here on earth uh, and uh, where, they, where these kings or these gods, quote unquote, kind of kickstarted civilization here. Uh, I really think it was like a breakaway civilization from their planet to here. And, and that's, one of the, that's one of these great mysteries that still remains is, you know, where if, if all this knowledge was handed down and given, first, the first question, of course, is where did it come from and who provided it, right? And those, and those yeah. questions then lead to asking even more questions that go mm -hmm. deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole, trying to figure out where, where the origins of everything come from. Now, I wanted, right. to, I wanted to point out something is that some people have looked at the Sumerian king list and they've said, okay, that stuff seems, sounds like a fairy tale. It just can't be real. Well, the way that you can, can know that something like the Sumerian king list is authentic is to then compare the information that's, that's discussed in it with another cuneiform tablet. And I want to mention that, I've, and I've mentioned this before in other shows, some of these tablets came from completely different locations, sometimes yeah. hundreds of miles away. So to have information be carried over shows you that, number one, that information is probably true. And number two, it's, it's most likely come from a civilization that was connected. And so where that comes from, that, that we can find that same information, is the Eridu Genesis. And that is one of these cuneiform tablets that I think is largely unknown and, and, and is discussed very little. And I have the full translations from, including the Eridu Genesis in, in the stage of time, because that's how important this is, in my opinion. So what the Eridu Genesis states, I'm just going to read the first two paragraphs, because again, I want you to notice those terms. The terms I want you to look for are, when you read the Sumerian King List, it mentions these certain cities in chronological order that were founded, okay? It says Eridu was the first city on earth. Then it says that Bad Tavira was the second city followed by the rock, Tapar, mm -hmm. and then finally Sharupak. Now, it's, what's important to understand about that is that Sharupak is mentioned in these tablets as being the last city in Mesopotamia before it was all destroyed and everything had to start over again, okay? So what the Eridu Genesis says is it starts by saying, when the royal scepter was coming down from heaven, the august crown and the royal throne being already down from heaven, the king regularly performed to perfection the august divine services and offices and laid the bricks of those cities in pure spots. The firstling of the cities, Eridu, she gave to the leader, Nunamud. The second, Bad Tabira, she gave to the prince and the sacred one. The third, Larak, she gave to Palisad. The fourth, Sipar, she gave to the gallant Utu. The fifth, Sharupak, she gave to Ansud. And so not only does it, it's not like it mentions one of those cities or another one of those cities. Every single one is exactly mentioned in the order that the Sumerian king list sets. Mm -hmm. Now, and I want Billy to chime in after this. What's important about that is if you add up the dates given for what they call shars, when they listed out the reigns of these kings that ruled these cities, you get a history that would go back 200,000 years ago. And yeah. I know that would throw a wrench in everything we've ever been taught, especially when you look at how we're told in school that human civilization is less than 6,000 years old. 
So basically, Billy, this paints an entirely different picture about our past, doesn't it? Uh, this is incredible because it shatters all religious systems literally in one second. And uh, this is why this information is not taught in schools, because obviously the religious systems are a multi-trillion dollar industry and they can't have people uh, just going into this ancient information and learning it and bypassing that system. But um, this is really earth-shattering information, the fact that you can discover this information on two different stone tablets. And one thing I really want to point out, not the fact that they're so far apart, but, but the fact that somebody took the time to etch these into clay with a cuneiform stylus. I don't know if anybody's ever watched it being done, but I have. Uh, at the, there's a professor, you know, at the uh, Cambridge uh, Library, uh, and he does these, uh, and he has a YouTube channel where he shows you how to do it. And let me tell you something: the British Museum. There's also uh, Mr. Finkel, who does it as well. Does an excellent job showing how to do the cuneiform. He writes some cuneiform into some wet clay. It's such a tedious process. Are you thinking tens of thousands of years ago, somebody's got to sit down, get the clay out? get a stylus out and take so many hours upon hours to create this information and then bake it and so forth so it can stand, withstand the test of time. They didn't have time to do this for fun. This wasn't just like, I'm going to sit down and make a whole cuneiform tablet today just for the heck of it and make up some information. <laughs> they really put down important uh, information into these tablets, things they thought would be prudent for future generations to see. Exactly. And, and it's not even just that they wanted you know, these specific stories to be known because, oh, this was just an event that occurred. They were so smart that these stories that they created were written in such a way that it's like this perfect harmonic rhythm to them. And, mm -hmm. it, and it, at the same time, while they describe both actual events that occurred in the past and this important symbolism and all these metaphors and these lessons that we can learn along the way, but they provide in a complete glimpse in this lost viewpoint into where human origins came from and where it all began in the very, in the, in the very first place. I mean, try to imagine over 50,000 years ago, just try to imagine, I mean, think of everything that human civilization has accomplished in the last 500 years. Mm -hmm. Now try to imagine more than 50,000 years ago, these civilizations that are all being handed this information and they're rising up and agriculture is blossoming all around the planet and you're seeing this emergence of human civilization that's spreading out around the planet and then what happens well it reaches a certain certain sophistication and then it's wiped out and destroyed and then human civilization has to rebuild itself again now when i mentioned those four tablets that are th that i said are crucial i didn't read any anything from the last two that i mentioned but i want to bring it up how do you know that these events occurred? Like, how do we know these, what I just mentioned, Eridu and, and Sharupak, how do we know those cities were from that far ago, right? How do we know how old they are? How do we know how to accurately create this timeline? You basically have to look at evidence from a large spectrum of, of, of um, our area to, to understand. And the mm -hmm. first thing you want to look at is you compare things like geologic evidence you get from around the world, looking at, oh my God, the landscape was disastrously scarred by these events the that occurred last ice age. And then you look at things like ice core samples and you can pinpoint when these different climatic zones occurred. And then you can take these ancient cuneiform stories and then match them up based on the events they describe and how old they say they are. So when the Sumerian king list and, um, and the, and the Eridu Genesis talk about these ancient cities, you, people that are then going to say, well, well, how do we distinguish what's before and what's after? 
here's where really paying attention to this stuff comes in that comes in important. When you look at something like the Legend of Atanya, and here's yet again another one of these incredibly important tablets that I hear almost nobody talk about. Okay, and that is remarkable because Legend of Atanya is the only tablet that talks about the events that occurred right after the flood. It specifically mentions that there was a city in Mesopotamia that was then created, the first one of all. So you could call Eridu the first city in human civilization ever, according to these records. Then the first city after everything was destroyed was called Kish. And Kish is what was known as these post-Diluvian um, mm -hmm. civilizations, okay? And that's that means that everything we know of, when we oh. think of um, all these things handed, re-handed down and then civilization restarting in Mesopotamia like we're told in school, that's all part of this post-Diluvian history. This is all part of this new epic that occurred with this restarting of human civilization over again. And that's mm -hmm. why these time periods are so confused, wouldn't you say, Billy? Yep, absolutely. I mean, it's so, it gets a little convoluted, so you really got to pay attention. And I'm glad you brought up the ice cores. Um, you know, there's a show by Greg Braden, the famous Greg Braden, uh, great guy. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him and being in some episodes with him on a few shows. He's on a show called Missing Links. Uh, it's on Gaia. But he talks about the, the, that entire first episode on season one is all about the ice core samples. Taking into the ice cores, matching it up, like you just said, to ancient history and events, global events that have happened, and you get the record stored in the ice core. You can detect when we've had global warming in the past, and then you begin to see this cycle that it happens every so many thousands of years. You begin to see the cycle of every so many thousands of years, you get an ice age. You begin to see the cycle of every so many thousands of years, you get some type of a geological disaster that happens on the planet. You can see the different oxygen levels, different atmospheric gases, of the plant life, all that information is in the ice core. So, I mean, literally, when you study these ice cores, you can now then predict the future of the planet. And to be honest with you, a lot of people are really getting worried about the global warming and everything else. We're right on track with the ice core said we were going to be exactly right now. This is not something, to be honest with you, out of the ordinary. It's actually something that's part of our cyclical, cyclical nature of this um, geological pattern on this planet. Uh, and but, but the amazing thing is those ice cores line up with these ancient tablets which is why I talk about the fact that I really believe that the Great Sphinx and the Great Pyramid are, are probably about 36,000 years old. Because if you go back two additional processional periods to match up the, the, uh, the Sphinx with the constellation of Leo, you end up around 36,000 years ago, when according to the ice cores and according to the animal tablets, it's the perfect time to build the Giza Plateau to build the Great Pyramid. So it kind of really gives you, it helps you paint a, a, a good picture about what's going on. And the other thing is, like you said, finding these tablets all around the world Chief Joseph, which was a Native American Indian that was unburied in North America, was unburied from a, a, a burial tomb in North America and what was in his pocket? A Sumerian tablet written in cuneiform texts. So the Sumerians had contact with Native American, indigenous Native Americans thousands of years ago in the North Americas, proving again that they had traveled the entire globe. They also found in, uh, in Mesoamerica, Sumerian uh, writing, which they call Proto-Sumerian, but that's even on Wikipedia. I mean, anybody can look it up. They even had a metric system back then. So when I tell people about, you know, the fact that the Grand Gallery and the Great Pyramid is the longitude, the numbers match the speed of light by meters per second, well, people go, oh, no, we didn't have meters back then. Oh, yes, we did. <laughs> they had meters thousands of years ago. Everything we have now is just a rediscovery. Exactly. That's really well said. 
and we're going to be getting into some of those some of those pieces of evidence from other parts of the world that prove that there was this global civilization and global connection that once occurred around the planet that was completely destroyed and wiped out. And Billy, you made some some excellent points there. Is and, and I want to address a couple of them. Is um, right now, yes, we're going through another one of these time periods. This cyclical nature time period. Don't allow the media to distract you and, and, and confuse you over what's going on right now. Oh, this warming that's occurring on the earth, completely just human induced, nothing to worry about. We're just gonna fix things up, cool things down, we're, we'll be all set. Except for the fact that we're right in line with another one of these cycles that I think is based on solar cycles um, that occur where you get extreme warming and then, and then a period of extreme cooling over and over and over again. And in between each one of those events, you get a disaster. Now, how big that disaster is going to be is depends on a lot of factors, especially if you have an ice age. And that's why I don't, I want to both remind people that that's why this important is this, this information is so important to learn right now, because we're in this window where, where we have all of this available to us and we don't know how long that window is going to be. And secondly, thankfully, this is the part where I go the positive direction um, on this discussion is that we don't have an ice age right now. And that's something that a lot of people gets past and they say, oh my God, these events that occurred back then, they're gonna be just as bad right now. Well, they, they, they sort of can't be because without that ice age and having one to two miles of ice above where I'm sitting right now <laughs> talking to you, you you're not gonna have that massive outburst of water that flooded, which is what was one of the major components, I believe, behind what they describe as being the great deluge. Now, I do think that there is um, earthquake and, and um, volcanic activity that occurs as well. And I'm not going to um, poo-poo the idea that we're, we're not going to have challenges that are going to be coming up in our future. But we just have to understand and, and really look back at these events in history and then learn from them and try to figure out if we're going to go the same route that these ancient civilizations did and disappear, or if we're going to be able to stand the test of time and our civilization is going to continue and so that's why we're at a crossroads right now because we need to understand that the maya the aztec the hopi the hindu the cherokee and then many many other ancient cultures around the world they clearly state in their in their ancient writings and between in, in their stories they say that that human civilization today is this is either the third or the fourth epic that, that we've had in our past that means that human civilizations have gone through these cycles of rising up and then to being destroyed over and over again. And we're at the third or fourth of those time periods. And that's pretty mind blowing to, to wrap your head around and consider, I think, Billy, don't you? Oh, absolutely. It tells you that we're in a grand cycle, just like the, uh, the Indians talk about the native, you know, not the native American Indians, but the Indians in the East, when they're talking about these grand cycles of the yugas and the rise and fall of civilizations. Uh, and, you know, uh, the nature of this universe is cyclical and the rise and fall of civilizations is cyclical. And Tho talks about this in the Emerald Tablets, where he talks about the fact that he's actually traveled to other planets to watch civilizations rise and fall. So we're not the only ones that go through this situation. According to Tho, this happens all throughout the entire universe. Civilizations have this cyclical nature to them where they rise and fall. So we're not, you know, we're not the exception. The same thing happens here. Uh, and we're living, you brought up a very good point, we're living in a very small window uh, of opportunity here where we're able to uh, enjoy this planet, enjoy the beauty of nature, to flourish, 
uh, to, and, and really it's a shame when you see this tiny, when you can really understand how small this window is, it's, it's, it's smaller than a blink of an eye. It's quicker than a blink of an eye. Geologic time-wise, yeah. Geologically time-wise, yeah. So we're here and we're battling each other and fighting each other and we're pulling each other apart. We should be spending this little bit of precious time that we have to love each other, to have show unconditional love to your brother and your sister, to unite, to make, you know, and maybe even to find a way if we join up to break this cycle or maybe, uh, you know, travel the stars and do things that we have an opportunity to do while we have this window of opportunity here before the next geological disaster. And it's not a, it's not to be negative. It's just that it's just part of life. Just like you, your avatar body is born and it grows up and it lives. And when it wears out, it passes on. Uh, you know, the same thing happens, uh, you know, in, in these windows where you have uh, the uh, areas where it, the galactic space is clear of debris and planets can, can prosper and grow and develop life. And then there's times where that doesn't happen anymore for a short period of time. So we've got to be happy with what we have here. We've got to really start to love each other and enjoy the opportunity, this window of opportunity that we do have on this planet. Very well said. And that's essentially leading us into, well, how far back do we go? And, you know, if, if, if we had the cyclical nature of, of destruction over and over and over again, you know, are we going to make it to the next epoch, to the next stage, like you said? Just imagine what the future of humanity could be. Thoth talks about that all the time. You know, what the potential of what we have is almost infinite. It's, it's, um, it's infinite, except that we are, are, are dramatically held back by all these things that distract us and keep us locked in this illusion of the material world. And that's why Thoth calls us, we're the children of men. We're not men. We're not yeah. mankind. We're the children of men because we're all like these little kids that refuse to accept what we who really we really are and what defines the nature of reality we, we get so distracted by this physical body you know this is me this is me i need as much as i can before i die because i can't take it with me except that we're just eternal conscious energy and you can't take anything physical with you right. the only thing that matters is what you do during this life and what you leave behind in your legacy for the future that's really all that matters mm -hmm. and so on that note um, we're going to get into some of these really controversial topics because we're going to go back even further. And when, when we discuss in places like the Era to Genesis and Sumerian Kinglist, when it discusses how the first city was Eridu and then all these other cities emerged afterwards, people would scratch their head and be like, well, what else does it say, right? Is it, does it say anything else about what, what happened before that? What about, what about human civilizations? You know, I don't feel like a, an ape. You know, I, I really, I really, this, everything in this life tells me that I'm something different from an ape. Well, evidence clearly states the opposite of what we've been told in school through this Darwinian evolution aspect of where we're told that Neanderthals and Denisovians came along and started slowly developing. And then we broke away and then we had this rapid developing and then we ended up where we are. Except the problem is they don't explain at all how the human brain doubled in size in only a small time period or all of these strange things about both why we have all these genetic abnormalities and you know we don't have hair on our body. We, we, if we go on to nature and we try to, try to survive in this world, we will die. It's almost like if you look at it from the outside like an observer, it's like we're not really from here. It's like we're just here as visitors and stewards here to learn and grow Whereas what we're told is that we're just sort of this ape that got here where we are because of survival yeah. of the fittest. And because of that, we can do whatever we want. Right, Billy? Right. Yeah, that's, 
I totally don't agree with that. I believe that there's micro uh, changes of, you know, that, that uh, organisms are capable of, but the macro changes like what they, you know, they're describing in this evolution to go from a monkey to a human being, it would take, I mean, probably billions of years. I mean, even just uh, a 2% variance, which is the difference between us and a chimpanzee, uh, that 2% variance literally takes multi-millions of years if they were to quote unquote be real uh, macro evolution. Uh, and so I really do believe after looking at the research, after analyzing information in biology, having to do with chromosome number two being fused in the human genome, uh, having the telomere caps put on the end of chromosome number two and geneticists, mainstream geneticists have said, this had to be done in a the laboratory. They said it out of their own mouths. They've written this down. This is like, you know, well-known, but they can't just say who did it, but they can tell you it seems to happen around 200,000 years ago. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Isn't that the same age we gave? If you add up all of the, the dates for the reigns of these cities, you get just over 200,000 years ago, which would fall in line with the first city ever created and this whole, I, this whole biblical story with Adam and Eve and the creation mm -hmm. of man, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so you, you start to take these biblical stories, right, that we think are all just myth, and then you take the, these direct evidence from these cuneiform tablets, and then you take all this genetic data, and you look at, uh, look at all of it on this holistic viewpoint, and all of a sudden you start to see that the story of what we've been told about who we are is extremely antiquated, biased, and inaccurate. And I actually go one step further to say that it was deliberately chosen See, yeah. Darwin, if, if you look into Darwin and you look into his theories, he wrote confidently, he stated, and, and this is something that a lot of people don't bring up, is mm -hmm. that he expected that his theories were going to be disproved in the future. He, mm -hmm. he said that. He, he said, said that. He expected his theories to be disproved in the future because he saw holes in his logic. Mm -hmm. And he saw holes in what he was seeing around him, and he knew that. I, I, I know I really um, I hammer on Darwin pretty bad. But the, the more you look at it, the more you can actually see that Darwin didn't even, like I said, he didn't even think that his theories were going to be something that stood the test of time. But what happened is religion and other organizations grabbed onto Darwin because they said, here is something we can use. Yeah. What happens if human beings view their existence as an ape? You know what I mean, Billy? Mm -hmm. what, Absolutely. If someone, if someone perceives themselves as just an ape, and that yeah. brain is created, and that consciousness is created with a brain. Billy, I'm going to ask you, how would that change both what we do here and our perspective in the universe? Well, if somebody uh, thought that they really came from apes and that uh, consciousness comes from the brain, it would limit you um, because now you have a limited viewpoint of, uh, of where you came from and how you got to this point. I think that if you, um, that really locks you into the religious system. I think that if people understand that we were uh, seated on this planet and then a little much later genetically modified maybe even again by these Anunnaki beings or these Atlantean beings at some point according to the ancient texts but understanding that consciousness is not created in the brain that consciousness is downloaded from the source and I think that um, that will really expand people's uh, mentality to understand that they're part of something much bigger in this simple evolutionary type of a fairy tale they're really part of the God, the, the God divine energy that's flowing through the entire universe. And that the same divine energy that is creating everything that we consider to be matter in the third dimension and reality in the third dimension is the same divine energy flowing through and coursing through their veins. Uh, and, um, you know, there was a study, a scientific study done where they took people 
and they put them in rooms and they put them in dark rooms and they put these electrodes on their head, connected them to a computer. They wanted to see what people's uh, brain electronically looked like on a computer after looking at specific images so they can see how the brain reacts to information and digital information and images. Well, they found out something amazing by accident. So they spaced these images 10 seconds apart. They would put up something like a serene image of a lake view or ocean, a bed of roses, then a horrific scene like somebody getting murdered or stabbed or shot. And then a weird scene like kind of in the middle, like a building on fire and things like that. So all of a sudden what started happening is the data readout on the computer started uh, telling the computer what the next image was going to be to seven seconds in advance. So that proves that we're getting a download of information from the future or from maybe real time, and we're not living in real time. So again, the brain doesn't create consciousness, it downloads it. Every case study they did, it worked out the same way. After a few minutes, the human brain was picking up the next image and transmitting it to the computer before the image showed up on the screen. Every case study they did. So this is how powerful we truly are. Our brain has billions of magnetic crystals. We download information directly from space-time, uh, and we bring it into our reality tunnel so that we can operate within it. Uh, but that's a whole other point of view that they don't really want us to know. They want us to keep us very locked in and, and, and focused on, you know, ape to human and 6,000 years and all this other kind of crazy stuff. But the true reality is we are much bigger and much more important than, some, than this evolutionary fairy tale that's been taught. That's right. And that's really well said, Billy. I could not agree more. Uh, what I wanted to say on in regards to that is um, one of the examples I give that I talk about a lot is um, human beings right now perceive themselves as just this animal, right? Just this advanced animal. And it's like they're in this giant fenced in pen and they're all going to work and they're all doing what they're told. And they have, they live generally these very mundane lives. You know, we, we just come home, we watch TV, we go, maybe mm -hmm. we go out for a hike every once in a while, we go out to do something, but largely our lives are very um, uneventful. And, and then before we die, that's why the regrets of most people is that they never really did anything, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, so those are, that's this farm of conformity that we talk about where people, the perception of reality that's been created here is not simply just based on some scientists that created it and oh, that's what all the evidence says, so we're gonna go along with that. It's actually a paradigm to control our consciousness and how we perceive reality here. Because we're about to read some cuneiform tablets that completely contradict what we're told. And you're going to see how this mindset could control human civilizations. So get, getting back before we start that, getting back to, I want to bring up a point, getting back to this farm of conformity. Um, those animals that are in that farm, doing what they're doing on a daily basis, going to some dead-end job and wasting all their energy and time, and then they die and they wonder what they spend all their time doing. If those animals, and I, I use that animal as, that term animal as just a, an example because we're not really animals at all, are we? But if those animals realize that they're not farm animals at all and that they're actually this incredible being that doesn't belong caged at all, it belongs, you know, doesn't belong having its wings clipped, it belongs out expanding consciousness and reaching the infinite stars and all of these things, whereas the complete opposite is happening right now. And when those, when you discover the truth and when you read these ancient translations and tablets, and when you look at all this data, it's like finding a hole in that fence and running away and never coming back ever again. But the challenge that I put to every single person here, and I bring this up in my previous book, the challenge, and it goes along with Plato's cave, that, that the idea that everyone's trapped by these illusions is that you have, when you break out of that pen and you run away and the sun is basking on you and you're free, 
the challenge then becomes you have to come back. You have to come back and save the rest of the animals that are in that farm or they're not going to make it out. And that collective of humanity is going to go down that road that other civilizations did and we're going to be wiped out and we're going to disappear and become a myth just like they did because we're not learning the fundamental lessons we need to right now to make changes and reach the next level of our consciousness. So, so on that note, Billy, let's go into what actually says in these tablets and discusses it. Okay. And so, and so we're going to be starting with, um, we're going to be starting what's called the Enuma Elish. And I know it's very dear to your heart, Billy, because it's one of the ones yeah. that I know you talk about um, among the most of all. And the Enuma Elish was found in the Ashurbanipal Library, as I mentioned, in 1849. Mm -hmm. And there's been many translations and different versions of it that have been brought up. And, and I want to also just mention before we bring that up that it may be amazing for some to read and understand that you'll bring, you'll, you'll read one version of the Enuma Elish, then you'll read another version like the Babylonian version. You'll notice that they're different. Yeah. And I just want to bring up is that there is a competition among these gods for who created mankind. And who mm -hmm. can get credit for being their savior and their and their fa great father? And so, yeah. if you read Babylonian versions of what we're about to read right now, you find out that it says that Marduk created mankind. Okay, right. and we're gonna we can get into it and talk about that as well. But it's this competition for who can be the savior, who could be the the, the great creator of, of our species. So, in the version we're going to be reading, it's a version that came out of Nineveh, and it's the version that I feel is the most accurate. Um, and it's it was translated by. Uh, great translators like Stephanie Daly and George Smith, some of the, some of the best that have been out there. Um, and so the Enuma Elish starts by saying, in, in this, from where we're going to begin, it says, they bound him, holding him before Ea. They inflicted the penalty on him and severed his, his blood vessels. From his blood, he, Ea, created mankind, on whom he imposed the service of the gods and set the gods free. And then it says... After the wise Ea had created mankind and had imposed the service of the gods upon them, that task is beyond comprehension. The gods were then divided. All the Anunnaki into upper and lower groups. He assigned 300 in the heavens to guard the decrees of Anu and appoint them as a guard. Tablet 6. Isn't that amazing? Oh, that's amazing, yeah. I mean, it, it just tells you right there. And Billy, I'm sure you know that that same dis description is almost um, referenced um, exactly in the Atrahasis as well. Isn't that, isn't that just mind-boggling with all these questions yeah. that people have? It's amazing that the Atrahasis epic and this have so many similar verses in them. So it tells you that it's, it's right on point. You know, it's really amazing. And, uh, and the thing that I like about the, the Enuma Elish is the fact that it mentions the Anunnaki, it mentions uh, Marduk or, or the Nibiru planet, and depending on the version that you're reading, and you can find Marduk in the modern-day Bible. You can find him in the Torah. You can find these names through the American Library. So it's not even been hidden. It's there, but people have just never paid attention to it. Well, let's let's try to have people understand. They might not know these names. So Ea, that's mentioned directly in this translation that we read, his name originally was known as Ea before he came here, and then he, his title was then changed to Enki. Okay, now, so Enki, I'm just going to refer to him as Enki, though, because that was his later, his later name. But Enki is the one that is credited in every single ancient text, except some of these other versions that were later re re rewritten, as being the creator of mankind. And he was, he was said to be this great being that created mankind to do the workload of the gods. And actually, the phrase I like even more, if you go read the Atrahasis, which those translations are in the stage of time, 
is it the, the phrase that it gives in the Atrahasis is even better. It says, he created mankind specifically for the role of the, to, to do the role of the gods, but it says the phrase, to undo the chain to set them free. Mm. Undo the chain to set them free. Now, mm-hmm. I want to tell you what I think about that, and then maybe you can mention what you think, Billy. Um, but but I, I believe that that references the chain of the physical reality of the third dimension and being mortal. I think mm-hmm. these beings used human, the human race as a way to achieve immortality and also probably to achieve a non-physical um, ex- existence here where they could go into upper dimensions and basically rule over us because we exist in a, in a lower state of awareness than they do. And, and, then, and then you can chime in, but I want to also mention is that, well, who is Marduk? Because we brought that up. Marduk is credited as being the first son of, of Enki, Ea. And so this competition arose between these younger generation gods and the older generation gods over competing here on, on, on who could rewrite everything, who could become the savior, who could become the great, the great god here. And that's what this competition has been over and over and over again. And that's why Billy and I try to fight so hard try to get the most accurate information because it's a, it's a battle of information and it's a battle of understanding the, the truth right billy oh it's the big battle i mean uh you know even i just made a post on instagram about the fact that marduk also known as amen ra is responsible for the defacing of a lot of these statues and these hieroglyphs around egypt and a lot of people got immediately offended and they're really going crazy on the comments here when i, when I get off of this this show with you i'm going to check my comments it's going to be real hectic because people don't want to um uh, come to terms with the fact that this was done in deep antiquity. I've been to Egypt. I've seen the thousands upon thousands of defaced gods and the hieroglyphs. I'm talking about temples with glyphs, probably, I would say, two, 300,000 glyphs in one temple, all chipped away. Faces of all of the uh, statues broken off. And these go way back further than Napoleon. You know, they want to say Napoleon went and shot the noses off and people didn't want people to know that there were some black people in Egypt. That's what, no. Amin-Ra, also known as Marduk, is the one who had this done because why? Because he wants to be known as the, only, the one and true only God, the same term that actually made it into the modern-day Bible. Uh, you know, had, these guys had big egos. I mean, big, big, big egos, man. Um, and they were battling each other consistently to be the one to do this and the one to do that. And matter of fact, if you look in the modern-day Bible, look at the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, and especially when you figure out that the word God in the Bible is mistranslated with God's singular, it's supposed to be God's plural, everywhere in the entire Bible. Yeah. It was purposefully done. In the book of Deuteronomy, you have these gods, who are Marduk and his cousins and his nephews and everybody else, fighting each other and sending humans across to another area where people that they don't know, never met before, to battle them, to, to rob and rape and steal and everything else. These are the actual words used in the modern-day Bible, rape, kill, murder, uh, and forth, you know, and they were battling each other using humans as as cattle, kind of like we do today. We take somebody out of school, we send them halfway around the world, put them in the military, tell them to go blow up a guy on a camel so he can get a free education. But it's a mind trick we played on the people now. So they've got these gods doing the same thing today as they did in ancient times. Uh, but uh, it's really amazing how they wanted to be able to take claim for everything. And you see it passed down to the pharaohs. The pharaohs, they take claim for a tomb that wasn't theirs. They would take claim for a pyramid that they didn't really build. They take claim for anything because they want to have that. Uh, they want to have that reputation that added to their bio. That know? legacy, right? Yeah, that legacy is crazy. It's and and that's what it really comes down to. Um, and that legacy is what is being fought over right now. That 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 battle has not ended. It's just we don't perceive it the same way because our understanding of linear time 
um, is, is different than perhaps others. Um, yeah. We exist in a certain kind of 24-hour cycle based on this 12-hour clock. And it's really interesting to, if you look at the origins of where that came from and how that rules everything. How, because it, how we perceive time is how we perceive events and how we perceive the, um, how things go over the course of history. Um, and I want to bring up a couple of little interesting points uh, as we talk about human origins is that, and we really touched on that well when Billy was discussing how, you know, we download consciousness or we're like antennas for consciousness and that we're really these beings that are here that didn't arise from just simply just an evolved state. Now, I do, I do believe that human beings are a product that includes um, a primitive um, ape, but that as like a blueprint. But that doesn't mean that that's our complete origins. Um, if, let me give you an example. I think this is one of the best examples to really look at this, to disprove what, what has been taught. Billy brought up what's called micro versus macro. Micro means very small. Macro means larger. And so, and that's one of the things that I, I talk about in the stage of time a lot is that, like Lloyd Pye says, evolution, as we've been taught, is much more likely to be on a micro scale than on a macro scale, meaning that small things do happen over time based on the environments and things that occur, but large things either take a really, really long time or they did not happen the way that we're told. And I think the same thing happened with humanity and the human race. Because if, if you look at how far back the human race goes and everything we've left behind in writings, everything we've left behind in observations throughout time, there's never been one mention ever of an ape that's been observed changing on a level that we can understand that would be related to evolution. Yes, there's apes that can be taught, gorillas and things that can be taught how to read certain things and, and certain intelligence because they do have an intelligence that can reach a certain level and that is rather intelligent, but it's nowhere on the same scale of what human consciousness and the human brain is capable of on, or even on the same, the same level. Because when we look at human beings in the, the fact that we only have 46 chromosomes instead of the 48 that's found in most primates, you really can see that there's been this gen genetic manipulation that's occurred over time. And I don't even think that that happened once. Bill, and I want your, your opinion, Billy, but it seems like if you read some of these stories and what they spoke about in these tablets is that humans were becoming, were way too smart and way too conscious and mm -hmm. we were uh, potentially tampered with and, and then dumbed down, right? That's exactly right. I mean, I just talked about this at a lecture at Disclosure Fest uh, in California a few months ago. The fact that our, our immediate cousins right behind us, to me, were much smarter than us. Just based off of what I've read and researched, they were probably more, more not maybe technologically smarter. That's potential. That's potentially they were, but I think that they were more smarter, smarter spiritually, more in tune with nature, more in tune with the Schumann resonant frequency of the earth. They were using the magnetite crystals in their brains. They may have even been telepathic. Uh, they may have had more DNA connected to the avatar system. Right now, we have this quote-unquote junk DNA, which is not really junk. It's disconnected. We've been disconnected from the higher realms and higher levels by these Anunnaki people uh, to, to keep us a little bit more dumbed down. Our brains, uh, our, our pineal glands are probably shrunk a little bit smaller than our, than our immediate cousins and making us into this homo sapien sapien uh, being right now that we're in this new biological avatar uh, they've got us in a way where they've kind of put a cap on us, literally. They put a cap on us physically with their telomere caps, and then they put a cap on us. Look, people who don't know what telomeres are, on the end of chromosome number two, scientists, geneticists discovered that chromosome number two was fused together, taken out, fused together, 
and a cap was put on each end. And these caps are like buffer material of genetic uh, information. So every time that your cells DNA replicate, then nothing gets lost in translation. However, these buffer caps run out of material. And what's interesting is when you go to the biblical account of the Tower of Babel, you discover that uh, human beings were working together on one accord to build this tower to the heavens. And whether it was a space tower, whether it was a, a, a cargo cult type of a tower mimicking what the Anunnaki or these Atlantean people had built, or whether it was just a tower that they came together and decided to build this tower, doesn't really matter. What happens in Lil, who's known as Yahweh in the modern-day Bible, he gets he comes back and realizes the humans are getting too smart. They're getting too intelligent. I mean, this is crazy. He even says, out of his own mouth, no matter what they set their minds to do, they can achieve it. So he says at that point, first he destroys the tower, then he says, my seed shall not abide in man forever. So we were living for a very, very long time back then. This is well documented, though. This is written about, oh, and a lot of ancient uh, civilizations talk about the fact that human beings were living for many hundreds and sometimes thousands of years. He said, my seed shall not abide in man forever. His years shall be 120. A Harvard scientist just recently discovered two years ago that the under the most pristine conditions, a human being can only live to 120 years, backing up ancient texts with modern science. And then they discovered these telomere caps, and they, they discovered how to stop the telomere caps from shrinking in mice. So they, uh, they then uh, uh, had mice living three times their normal lifespan, this new technique that they use on telomeres, which means that they can then now do it on human beings as well. So that the possibility for us to live for hundreds of years or even thousands of years is well within reach of modern science at this particular moment. But again, the scientists, like I said earlier, were saying that they don't know who did this, but it happened about 200,000 years ago. This is all really coming together, the culmination of science, modern science, hacking up these ancient tablets, adding more credence to what we're talking about, and really adding, right now, giving us the evidence that we need to talk about these topics and bring it to everybody out in the world. That's right. That was really well said, Billy, and I, I couldn't agree more. It's If you think about it as why would they want to, why would that need to be done, right? So if you were let's call you you an overlord of human civilization. If human beings could live for hundreds of years, not more than a thousand years, think about how much knowledge you could obtain in that amount of time. Think yeah. about how much, how, how much fundamentally you could change and reach these higher states and all of this. So it was realized that, well, it'd be a lot easier to prevent that by just making so they, they would only die at a certain age which actually, if you look at the potential of what the Emerald Tablet says and the Sumerian King List and the others about how long even humans or other beings could potentially live, um, 120 years is, is like a little, it's like a yeah. little flick of your fingers is actually nothing if you look nothing. at how far back time goes and these civil, how long these civilizations ruled for and all these things. And you brought up those great points is that here we have scientists that are verifying that these things occurred to our DNA a certain amount of years ago, and you're getting the same cuneiform tablets that then back them up by not only saying that human civilization was created at the same time, and then showing the, the long reigns of these great bloodline kings, proving that human beings also lived longer, then you see the destruction of all of that and how we had to restart over again, and, and then the human lives became less and less over time to where we got now. Um, I think that you see all these shows where they talk about the telekinesis abilities of, of mm -hmm. certain special individuals and all of this stuff. And you read the Emerald Tablets and a lot of this other, these ancient texts as well. And they all clearly state that human beings used to have all these gifts, yep. all these abilities and, and live a long time. And all of those things were taken away from us to prevent a lot of those um, changes that were occurring to keep us in this um, 
this never ending loop of, of how I, what I feel is that we essentially live this life. We can't, we, we expel all the energy until we're done. And then we have mm-hmm. to do it all over again, over mm-hmm. and over and over again. And that's yeah. that chain. I think that's that chain that, that they did, that they, that un, undid the chain to 